1: Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray.
2: Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or actually around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Always just happy, always excited really to share thoughts with you, have interesting guests. We talk about issues that many people simply do not raise, but this one is going to be really different. We're excited to have my wife's actual friend, uh, Annie Fonte. F-O-N-T-E, who has written a book which I have read and really enjoyed, kind of self-help, kind of all around the block. It's called Keep Your Ass in the Saddle. How a Farm, a Fire, and Failure Led Me to Freedom. So we'll talk to Annie about these various things. But this is a really successful uh, lady. She was raised in the fields of, Col- of uh, Colorado on the plains on a farm. That's where that came from. Uh, was an athlete. Uh, actually has been, uh, uh, been getting, into the, getting into the business world as well. Why is that? Well, she went to Harvard and got a, an MBA. So uh, she tells a good story. We'll pause and reflect. And stop, uh, stop playing small," she says. So we'll we'll talk about all of those various things. So Annie Fonti, welcome. Nice to have you here with us on All Rise.
3: Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to our chat today, and I'm just glad to be here.
2: Yeah, life is good. Is that right? Uh, in fact, uh, even as the coronavirus and rally, uh, we we talk about just just reflecting, living your life, making decisions, making good decisions. And, and you've made some good and, and some not. But uh, Annie, just give us a little bit more of your background. Uh, tell us about your parents, which I, I read about. Uh, how did your dad raise you? Uh, what recommendations did you give to other children about kind of gaining insights about themselves to, based upon their upbringing? Just give us a, give us a background for you.
3: Okay. Well, I thank you for asking. I was raised on a farm in northeastern Colorado. We had about 5,000 acres and always ran about 200 head of cattle. That was a blessing for me. I recommend if you haven't been raised on a farm and if you're a parent or a child, get to one because you can learn a lot about life and yourself in that environment. So um, I had the good fortune to uh, be there until I was 17. At 17, I left and I went to... Uh, Kansas to school for my undergraduate degree at Fringe University and I got a degree in business and then from there worked in banking for a while and then real estate development for a while and then decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and so I went to, um, through the process of applying to go to Harvard Business School, I was accepted. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but the good news is that I was accepted, and after that, um, got into the world of entrepreneurship. As far as my dad and how my parents raised me, um, my dad was a little bit of a heavy-handed parent, I would say, um, but... As I reflect back on it, I think people do the best they can with the resources they have. And some people are natural parents and others struggle a little bit. And my dad definitely struggled. I learned a lot from him about tending the land and tending to animals, and our cattle. He taught me a lot, and who he was also taught me a lot about who I didn't want to be. Um, he was very despotic in his parenting, and my mom worked because she had to to help us survive living on the farm, and so she was not around to parent very much, but I think the thing I would suggest to the the audience today is be grateful for the fact that you have parents, because without them, there would not be you. And always seek to evolve to your best self and don't seek to be a victim of parenting, because I like to believe, like I said earlier, that they're just doing the best they can with what they have. There's not a user's manual or a a user's guide when you have a child, so um, they're kind of just making it up as they go. And even though my dad was a little rough around the edges, looking back on it, he taught me a lot about life, and for that I'm grateful.
2: The first baby, first infant, Annie, I ever held was mine. Uh, I didn't, you talk yeah. about no instruction manual, but uh, now what do I do sort of thing? Uh, and you learn right. as you go along. I, I hope that people are a little more prepared. Uh, I was on independent duty in Guam at the time, uh, and, uh, my wife and I had our first child. But but yes, well, you've gotten into entrepreneurship. And that's how, in fact, I know you. I know you through my wife, uh, Dr. Grace Walker-Gray, who's a a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy and occupational therapy. And uh, you became involved with physical therapy as well from an entrepreneur standpoint, from the business aspect. Uh, Tell us a little bit how that evolved, because uh, you have... uh, Applied business type rules, entrepreneurship. You could go into rocket science or anything else. Uh, business is the same. But how did that evolve, Annie?
3: Well, first of all, let me say that I was, um, a, I, my co- Connection to you is through Grace, and she's a phenomenal human being. She's a great practitioner, and I know she just wrote a book herself, so I have to give her kudos for that because it's not for the lighthearted, for sure, having gone through the experience myself. But the way I got into physical therapy is an interesting story. I was living in San Diego, where, where I still live, and working for a startup company. And my mom at the time, uh, she was living in Sacramento at the time, and she met another couple at church, and they were talking after church, and of course, oftentimes, parents talk about their children, and they concluded that not only did I live in San Diego, but the other couple's daughter lived in San Diego, and that's who my current business partner is, and so my mom called me and said, I I met the most interesting people at church, and they have a daughter in San Diego. You should get together with her. My mom was concerned that I didn't have any friends here because I was working a lot, so (laughs) I said, "Okay, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to connect." And I called, her name is Kate. I called Kate and I said, "My mom indicated she met your parents at work. You're in physical therapy. I was working for a company that had a component of physical therapy in its offering. It was physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy at the time." And so Kate and I got together and met. So we put our heads together and Kate used her clinical skills and I contributed the business acumen that I had, and we went on a journey to turn around her business, which was struggling at the time, and a year from the date that I joined the company, we were very profitable, and uh, we still have that business today, and we continue to do well in a space that can be a little challenging these days.
2: Well, indeed, so. But my wife, Grace, again speaks very highly about you with regard to your entrepreneurship. And by the way, Grace would really make sure that we mention the name of her book, which is "Bye Bye Back Pain," uh, which she—I had her on our show. It was broadcast on May 29th, and she mentioned that and uh, she has the entrepreneurial spirit as well. Mentioned that about every other sentence. So, "Bye Bye Back Pain" was was a part. Uh, yours is, of course, "Keep Your Ass in the Saddle," and we'll we'll talk about that. But but. Let me go back a little bit, Annie, because you said you were raised on a ranch and people really can learn a great deal about themselves, about life, about their health with 200 head of cattle, et cetera. Tell, fill in the blanks a little bit more. Why, why, what led you to believe that? What led you to say that?
3: Well, for me, from a very young age, I got to see life and death. I got to see that crops grew out of the ground when you tilled the earth and you planted them i got to see harvest happen i got to experience the seasons and that's very typical about uh, of what we as humans experience our seasons in our lives i got to see baby calves grow into to bigger And some of them we kept and some of them went off to market and some of them we butchered and had in our freezer. And so you learn all aspects of the cycle of life by growing up on the farm. The other thing that I learned is how to contribute to the effort of making our endeavors successful for us as a family because we all had to work. We sat on tractors from a very young age and we sat there for hours and hours every day and we helped in the harvest time and in the winter time the focus turned to our cattle and so we had to team up and and help each other take care of them so they would make it through the winter and the babies would be born successfully. And So there's a lot of components to growing up on a farm and you certainly learn to appreciate and um, honor nature too. So those are some of the things that it
2: taught me. Well, it, it teaches you a self-sufficiency. I would assume that there's nobody. There's nobody. You're you're driving a tractor or something. There's nobody to back you up, and you you make a mistake, uh, you pay the consequences. So that's that's the way really life is, or at least should be. Uh, Annie Fonti, I actually put a title on each of our broadcasts, and uh, so I was just thinking with regard to yours and and subject to your thoughts, uh, the idea to put the title of Cycle of Life sounds to me pretty descriptive. Would you go along with that?
3: I like it. That, That works really well, I think.
2: I think so, too. Well, okay, so you have in your book, and again, uh, tell us how you happen to write your book, uh, Keep Your Ass in the Saddle, which is kind of uh, blunt and, and right on and, and certainly gets your attention, how a farm, a fire, and a failure led me to freedom. Just give us an overview about uh, the farm that you've talked about, the fire and failure leading you to freedom, and what does freedom mean to you?
3: Okay. Well, uh, I just talked a bit about growing up on the farm, and I have to say I'm so grateful for that being the foundation which I grew from because it taught me so much and it gave me such a solid place to step away from and evolve in the rest of my life. And then the fire is in 2007, my home was one of um, many. I think there are almost 17 homes burned in the area here in San Diego where I live in the witch fire. And so I literally watched my house burn to the ground. Mm. And then the failure part that I talk about in the book is, at the same time, the 12-year relationship that I was in with this fellow was also going up in flames. So my dad died, my house burned to the ground, the relationship I was in was going up in flames, and one of the companies I was a founder of was in a very complex and very expensive lawsuit. It was a patent infringement lawsuit. All that was going on at the exact same time. And so that's a lot to have on one's plate. And I went through the process of building a home from the ground up. That was never on my list of things to do. I'm glad I got to experience it. I think if I had it to do over again, I would enjoy the process even more. I learned a lot. I met a lot of folks as a a result of it. And um, so we got that done. And... It was built, and I moved back in two years and ten days after it burned to the ground. And because of a challenge I had with the flooring vendor, I didn't have any flooring in the house. And I didn't want to move all the furniture and other things into the house without the flooring because it would all have to be moved out again. And so I bought an air mattress, and I brought it home, and I picked the room that I was going to settle in, and I blew it up. And I sat on the edge of it. It was about ten inches off the ground, and my dog Porkchop jumped up on the bed with me. And I put my knees on, my, or my um, elbows on my knees, and I said to myself, "If you need to bleep this out, please do." But I said, "Annie, you must get your shit together." And so that started my journey of creating a life that I love. And it was a complete redesign because I had strayed so far from my authenticity. So that's what the book is really about. The reason I wrote it is to not only tell the truth about my life, but encourage and inspire and invite everyone else to tell the truth about their life, because there's where the freedom is. For me, when I was willing to be really honest about who I was being and who I wanted to evolve to and what the process would take and the discomfort that one has to go through to get that, then it was as if a weight was lifted off my shoulders, and that's that's the freedom that I experienced the moment I made that decision, and I continue to experience in my life today.
2: At page ninety six of your book, and this was just published, uh, two thousand nineteen, not long ago, uh, you talk about the concept of it's already there, and it really was intriguing to me. You're you're flirting with it a little bit here too. Uh, you began by saying that driving to your office, you were reflecting on your morning meditation, which is also really I think a sensational idea. But but tell us about the concept of it's already there, Andy Fonti.
3: Well, I truly believe that everything we desire in our lives already exists. And it's a matter of raising our vibration and our level of consciousness to meet it. And so I'm a big proponent of having a vision and visualization And so if there's something I desire in the world, I focus on it to such a degree of commitment and precision. And then what I allow that to do is inform my actions in order to achieve that one day. And so that's what I mean by it's already there. That vision I had of owning a, a clinic with a gym in it and having a bunch of employees around me and a team of people that were all focused on helping other people, um, achieve their highest level of health and wellness. I thought about that constantly for years, and then it happened. And so that's what I mean by it's already there.
2: I had two friends when I was in the United States Attorney's Office in Los Angeles. They were a little bit before me, but but they really grouped together, uh, two men, and they had a vision Uh, they were going to be in the restaurant business. So they left the U.S. Attorney's Office. They practiced law, but only really to support their vision of a restaurant. And they put it together and it didn't work. And so they failed. And of course, they had the freedom to fail. So they again uh, popped themselves up, got their shit together, like uh, my guest would say, and uh, formed a second (laughs) restaurant and practiced law to support that restaurant. And you know what happened? It failed also. So they Regrouped. Uh, they had a different vision, same rest, same idea of a restaurant, different, different vision for it. And now they own California Pizza Kitchen. Uh, they're not practicing there law anymore. Know. But you know, it's it it is that freedom to fail. It's to be able to spit in, in anybody's eye and say, "Okay, this is my vision for myself. Uh, I I'm going to be successful. If not the first time, or the second, the third. Uh, I think that's basically what you're saying as well. And and it's certainly we, we have today gotten into such a Society of victimization, and I just hate to see it. Uh, the way I describe it is, and it was Henry Ford who was probably anti-Semitic, so I don't applaud that. But he said, anyone that feels they can rely on the government should talk to the American Indian, and that's pretty much all you have to say. I want people to be successful, so they they're going to have to have that freedom to fail, pick themselves up, get their their align together and, and get out there and do it. Uh, so you, you mention all of that in your book and, and it's just, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you, you say to fully embrace your genuineness, uh, you say self-sufficiency, you say you strayed from your authenticity. These are things that you just said. What, what do you mean by you strayed from your authenticity? Uh, were you meant to be an entrepreneur? Tell, tell fill in the blanks a little bit about that, Annie, because this is really important stuff. I believe for all of us as we live our
3: lives. Well, for me, it, it really wasn't it didn't have anything to do with my vocation. It was more my personhood, and I truly believe the day we're born, we're as good as we ever are in our lives because at that moment in time we're as pure, we don't compare ourselves to anyone else, anything is possible. That's why children are my heroes. They are so who they are. They embrace their true essence and they're unapologetic about it. There's no stupid question. They're the best artist in the room. They're the best dancer in the room. They're the best singer in the room until someone tells them they're not. And that's the unfortunate thing is when someone hopefully well-intended, likely their parents, Want to guide them through life. And of course, we want to teach kids that you don't put your hand on a hot stove because that could be dangerous. You don't run out in front of a car, that could be dangerous. But I think sometimes we unintentionally pass down our thoughts and beliefs to kids, and that limits who they see themselves as being because they don't have the resources at that age to step beyond it and realize that that's your belief. That doesn't have to be my belief. And so for me, when I was a little kid, I was so smart. I was, I was more smart as a little kid than I feel like I am even today. And I resource that little kid often. I call it little Annie. But I had knowingly in my gut, I was showing up in the world as someone that I wasn't, particularly in my relationship. I was in a relationship with a guy that clinically could be called a narcissist, And I knew for 10 of the 12 years that I was in that relationship, that I shouldn't be in it. It wasn't good for me. But because I did not feel worthy to be loved and admired by someone, I allowed myself to continue to choose it. And so that was me with me clearly with my ass out of the saddle, showing up in the world as someone that I wasn't at all. And until I was willing to admit that, and determined that I wanted to change that, I was not being a very um, authentic person in the world, and it had a lot of fallout. A lot of negative relationships came as a result of that. I wasn't as good in business. I wasn't as good in my friendships. I wasn't any good in a relationship. And so there's a ripple effect to it as well. So that's what I mean by we have to have the courage to be brave enough to be ourselves because that's the found that's for me at least my experience that's the only foundation on which we can build a life that allows us to be our best self
2: well it's a combination of course and i know you agree that life is complicated one thing that's going through my mind when uh, you're saying that is i think it was mark twain was quoted as saying be yourself is some of the worst advice you can give to some people Uh, and that's kind of going through my mind as well Uh, the other one is that I think as best I recall I was maybe five years old six years old and in my wisdom because I knew everything just like you did I decided that I'd only brush the teeth in front because those are the only ones people could see and that lasted (laughs) a couple of days until I learned a new reality that that's not particularly the reason you brush your teeth so so we need to uh, help help Children's reality. Uh, I also and I'm, I'm proud of this, Annie. Uh, when I was raising my children, I've raised this a couple of times on All Rise. Uh, we were driving on a rural highway. Uh, there were three of them in the car, maybe six, six and three years old, something like that. And we went by a strawberry field. And they put plastic over strawberry fields. I think it's to keep the humidity in and keep the fruit ripe right. and the rest. But but I said, look, kids, look, kids, that's where they raise plastic. Oh, really, Daddy? Oh, really? And I didn't say anything, and we kept driving maybe another five miles, in which one of my sons said, oh, come on, Dad. One thing you can do is to help children question authority, question the source of their information. But uh, what you say is, is, is right. Uh, you, you've got to stop playing small. That's another uh Saying that you have in your book, uh, tell a good story. A uh, pause and reflect, but stop playing small is certainly certainly a big one. You also came into a made a big point in your book called "We should trust our gut." Uh, what does that mean?
3: Well, I believe that we're all born with some degree of intuition, and I'm fortunate. I have a really strong and trustworthy gut which is intuition. Uh, You know, you kind of feel it from the inside out. There's a knowingness in all of us. I think the challenge is that those who recognize they have it, they practice and they pay attention to it. And so it gets better and it gets sharper for them. And even though others have it, that inner knowing, they are not willing or they don't take the time to quiet themselves and be still enough to recognize that it gives them a lot of messages, it gives them a lot of information, it gives them a lot of of signs as to how they can move forward in their lives. And so for those who have a strong intuition, keep practicing it, embrace it, and use it because it's very, very valuable. And for those who haven't honed that skill, I say practice it. That's why that quiet time each day is so important. Just get quiet enough and still enough that you can listen to your own. Life happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. And I think when people are looking outside of themselves to be informed, that's when they miss the valuable information that comes from within them. And that's that that knowing gut that we have. And I rely on it all the time. And I'll tell you one thing. Anytime I've gone against my gut, I've gotten my ass kicked. (laughs) Uh, And so I I pay a lot of attention to it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, I call it your instincts, but I'll tell you my own yeah. experience with that. My father was a very highly respected, and for good reason, a federal judge. And he swore me in as a when I was first on the trial court. And he said, Jim, trust your instincts. You have to follow the law. You have to go along with the facts. But if your decision violates your instincts, look at it again, because your instincts were probably correct. And, and I think that that's really good advice. You talk about Meditation as well, and your quiet time. Uh, explain a little bit about that. And and my view is, one of the greatest places that people could have learning meditation would be in prison because they have lots of quote time on their hands unquote, <laughs> almost no resources, a lot, great deal of anger, and meditation could really help those people. But you are involved with meditation. I've gone in and out with it, but but uh, tell us your experience with meditation and this uh, quiet quiet place that you mean.
3: Well, oftentimes I think that the word meditation comes up in a conversation, and that's scary to people, or some people might view that as, oh, that's a little hooky-pooky for my taste, I can't do that. But for me, meditation or quiet time is carving out, and I do it from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning. That's my quiet time. Mm -hmm. And it's a ritual where I, sometimes I sit and read a book, Sometimes I just sit quietly and listen to meditative music. Sometimes I just spend that hour writing in my journal. Another way that I meditate, and it's really powerful for me, is I go on a lot of walks. And I, I'm not on the phone, and I'm not listening to anything. I, I'm just on the walk, and I allow thoughts to come and go. Just allow them to come and go. And that is very um, valuable time for me because some of the best ideas I've had And some of the best thoughts I've had are when I'm just out walking because I'm not attached attached to any outcome. And also, you know, the world is going at such a pace, and there's so many distractions, and there's so much disruption, and there's so it's so dynamic. I don't think the human brain is set up to manage all of that. And so, in order to allow yourself some time and space to sort through that and categorize it, and Sift through it. I think it's important that we sit in a room by ourselves quietly, and I, I don't know very many people who can do that. And I and I also say to parents, one of the best things you can do with your kids, starting, even if they're as young as three and four years old, all you have to do is light a candle, and all you have to say to your kids is, "Okay, we're going to sit here, and our goal is to make that flame not move." And really, so it gives really them good advice. focused on. You we're going to come it, back. It huh? allows them to. <laughs>
2: We're going to come back after a break and and pick this up again, but I can tell you, Annie, that Pre- frequently the most important the most satisfying part of our day with my wife and me is that we'll have a glass of wine sit out on our front porch with our dog and we'll talk with each other uh, no phones no no computers people will walk by walking their dogs and we we just talk and converse and joke around and it really is frequently just the most fun part of our day that's kind of what you're talking about as well just and, and life slows down that way as well uh, and children should get away from those computers and all of the the games and the rest and just be able to look at that 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 flame good good for you well we're going to come back after this break and talk a little bit more with annie fonte and her book keep your ass in the saddle how a farm a fire and failure led me to freedom we haven't talked about freedom per se yet but we will after this break
0: The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. Join the Libertarian Party today at LP.org. Together, we can move mountains. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit judgejimgray.com. That's judgejimgray.com. Now, back to All Rise.
2: Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And as you know, if you listen often, uh, we talk about yes, that's what a bailiff says when a judge takes the bench, but if we Employ libertarian values, like we're talking about here, centering, self-worth. Uh, taking re- taking responsibility, digging in, uh, meditation, slowing your life down, all of those sorts of things, we will all rise together. That's certainly what our guest Annie Fonte has done. She has simply all rise to, uh, to a uh, great height uh, because she's taken responsibility for herself. But before I come back to this, and again, you know my wife, uh, Dr. Grace Walker Gray, uh, with her book, Bye Bye Back Pain, by the way, immediately, I must say, but has encouraged me to give a either a a silly type comment, or here, the one that really hits me between the eyes is with regard to uh, our conversation. Uh, The quote for the week, I will say, is, I am suspicious of a person who does not like dogs, but I trust a dog who does not like a person. Uh, Annie Fonte, I bet you agree with that as well.
3: Absolutely. I I learn a lot about people by how their dogs behave, and, and, and they are intuitive animals. So I appreciate that quote, and I think it's a great one.
2: Yes, I do too, and and, uh, it's certainly verifiable. So we're talking about meditation. We're talking about your book, about uh, uh, trusting your gut and instincts and the rest. Uh, You take responsibility for yourself, but with regard to responsibility, and you just touched on this when you said that you had these various bad things happen to you. I guess you were in an arbitration at the right around the time that your house burned down and, and you had this uh, relationship go off, go astray, but you had a retired judge who you said should have stayed retired and, and that makes me upset uh, if that sort of thing happens and of course it does, but just speaking to my uh, my experience, I, I can tell you a, a secret that okay, some judges are better than other, others and of course that's true in any profession, but but to defend our, our profession, I can tell you there are many wonderful, intelligent, caring, judicial officers. Uh, we have two men mandates. And the first is, and I've said this before here on All Rise, it's to do justice under the facts, under the law of the case, and the ethics of our profession. And whether that happened in your case or not, I simply don't know. But the second mandate is for anyone who cares, anyone who cares at all, to believe justice is done, and obviously that did not happen in your case, and and I can just apologize to you with regard to that. But but by and large, at least, I guess decisions were made and you can move on with your life. So uh, I tell people that there's a rather substantial difference between the word solve and resolve, and most human problems do not have a solution. Uh, Somebody runs through a red light, runs into your car, breaks your arm, the solution would be not to have had your arm broken, not to have gone through the pain, discomfort, and the rest. I can't do that. So I guess at least there was a resolution, and you've, of course, overcome that and, and gone on. But I'm sorry for that experience that you had with our judicial system. I hope you accept my apology.
3: Well, I absolutely accept your apology, and really, there's no reason to apologize. It was an experience. it was something that happened, and we get the choice as to what we're going what meaning we're going to give to that particular situation and you you learn and move on from that, and so we pivoted and and things turned out okay, I believe everything happens for a reason, and so although I accept your apology, it's not necessary, and I agree with you. There are so many folks like yourself out there who are providing such a great service for People, and I appreciate that, and I highly respect your, yourself being a, a judge and, and someone of the law and all the people that we've worked with as well.
2: Annie, I think you would agree with me about this as well. I'll ask people, what is the most important thing in life? And wow, you know, that's about as general a question as I can ask, but I don't think that it's power or love or money or whatever. I think it's gratification and the gratification that comes from being able to show that the world is a somewhat better place because we spent our years here. And I know that you have felt that way, certainly with your business. And then you get into physical therapy. You're helping other people overcome their pain and their disabilities and the rest. So uh, I, I think it's gratification. Do you agree?
3: I do, and I it, if you're in a state of grace or in a state of gratitude, and I make this part of my morning ritual as well, I write at least three to five things down every single day that I'm grateful for. And one of the things I'll say to our audience right now, when was the last time you were still enough to listen to your own heartbeat and say thank you? When was the last time you were still enough to notice your own breathing and stay, say thank you? Because those things go all day, every day. You don't have to plug them in. You don't have to charge them up. You don't have to inspire them. You don't have to give them a pep talk. They are there for us, 724, for as many years as we choose to be on this planet. And just being grateful for something as simple as that helps you stay in that state of grace. And then you don't have room to choose stress or anxiety or um, distress in your life. So I agree wholeheartedly with you. And I always say, most of us are not going to be the best in the world, but we can sure be the best for the world. So I, I like that gratitude um, conversation we just had very much.
2: Annie Fonte, it's a choice. That that's. What, what we really need to focus upon, that you can choose to be a victim, you can choose to be unhappy, you can choose to say, oh, woe is I. That's what the grammarian would say instead of woe is me. But, you know, I'd never heard that before. When was the last time that you were still enough to hear your own heartbeat and be grateful for it? Uh, your own breathing, yeah. of course. <laughs> That's kind of a big thing. Of course, I am in a state of grace. Uh, I, I married my wife, Grace Walker, now Grace Walker Gray, <laughs> uh, and she is very well named, uh, as you know, because you know her. But, but let's come back to your book. Uh, you're talking about uh, in your book you talk extensively about the romantic relationship with a man who you described as gene. I have no idea if that was his real name or not, but but being constructive, tell us about that relationship. Maybe people uh, listening to us could, could learn from it or benefit from it. Uh how how did you how did that turn out and what can we all or what did you and what can we all learn from your relationship, romantic relationship with who you call Jean? Well Jean is his real name.
3: And um, it's interesting because I didn't realize that I had chosen to be in that relationship and the reasons for it until my dad died because my dad was a narcissistic personality as well. And at his funeral, I remember one of the things that my two brothers and I decided to do was to give everybody a flower so they could go lay it on the casket and kind of say their last words. To George is my was my dad's name. And um, so we handed out red carnations, which were my dad's favorite flower to all the people who came to his graveside um, service. And I got up and I took my red carnation from my brother and I walked to the side of the grave and I looked down and I'm like, ah, dang, that looks cold and lonely. And I didn't set my flower on the casket. I kind of slammed it on the casket, and in that moment, it was an epiphany moment for me, I thought, oh my gosh, now that he's dead, I can start living. I had plugged into, for whatever reason, that as long as George was alive, I didn't deserve to be treated well by people, particularly men, and I chose someone just like him to be in a relationship with, and that was Gene. And so once I had that realization... And we got back to California from Colorado, which was where my dad's funeral was. I went on a walk a walk with my dogs, and that became much more clear to me. And I marched right back to the house, and I sat down, and I told Gene that. And in that moment, I could see in his eyes that our relationship was over because I was I was taking control of who I was back, and I was taking control of my life back. And that's when our relationship started to unravel. And so what's my advice to our audience? It's really to go back, trust your gut. I knew in my gut for 10 years, you guys, 10 years. I was 10 years in the prime of my life in a relationship I knew I shouldn't be in. Don't do that. Also, to embrace your worthiness. Whether you believe in universe or source or God, I happen to believe in God, that entity made you who you are, and the whole reason for making you who you are was to make you perfect as who you are, to embrace your authenticity and your worthiness as a human being. And once, for me, also my advice to the audience would be, once you know for sure you're not in a relationship that is fulfilling and that serves you and respects you, you got to get out of it. You just have to have the courage to step out of it. And that can be scary and it can be uncomfortable, but there's freedom in letting that go. So if anything, I would encourage and invite our audience to quiet yourself. So, you know, whether you're in a good relationship or not. And if you are, Continue to build on it and continue to um, do things that help it thrive. And if you're not in the relationship for yourself, muster up the bravery to step away from it so you can become who you truly are, and then you will be loved eloquently as you deserve
2: embrace your worthiness i've been taking a lot of notes uh in your conversations with us annie and thanks for sharing these things but embrace your worthiness is a yes. it's a, it's a self-love and that that's not hedonistic yes. you you have to love yourself because if you don't uh, you're going to be reliant upon other people. You're going to get into those relationships. Oh, I, I deserve to be beaten if I'm a wife or, or a husband. Uh, so so all of that is certainly true. We're not having great, great deal more time here, so I would like to turn, if I may, to, in your book, again, keep your ass in the saddle. And, and I know it's firmly there now, Annie Fonte, and, and I'm trying to keep <laughs> mine there as well, or at least get it there. But, but you talk about uh, uh, lines in the sand— A 10-step invitation to be your authentic self. I know we don't have time to go through all of the 10 very deeply, but uh, I I look at one. The first one is be authentic. Tell us about the lines in your sand. Where did it come from, a 10-step invitation to be your authentic self? Uh, Did did they come originally from you? What was your inspiration? Just give us an overview of it.
3: Yes. After I moved into my house and I realized I wanted it, not only did I want to, but I needed to redesign my life. I spent a year living in my house with no furniture in it. Now, I lived on an air mattress on a concrete floor for a year, and I used that year not to bring anything toward me that would distract me from redesigning my life. And so I went on a lot of walks. I did a lot of journaling. I read a lot of books. I had conversations with people I trusted that would hold my feet to the fire. And I came up with these 10 lines in the sand. So they were the tenants that I promised and committed to myself that I would live my life from that point moving forward. And I'll quickly go through them with you. I, like you say, they're in my book and, and we don't have time to go in depth, but they're certainly worth exploring on a deeper level if one's interested. So line one is be authentic. So always be brave enough to be yourself. Line two. You every experience is a gift. One might think a house burning down, your dad dying, a relationship going up in flames and being in a gnarly lawsuit are all bad things, but for me, every single one of those things were a gift. Line three, quiet yourself so that you can hear the whispers of destiny. That's what we talked about earlier, carving out that quiet time for yourself each day. Line four, embrace and practice surrender. I think so many times we are so focused on being in control of a situation or a person or a place or a thing that until we're willing to let go, we're not going to find the freedom that we deserve in our lives. Line five, astonish yourself every day. Look for something every single day that you've never seen before. And it might even be your neighbor's door is red and in the 20 years you've lived next to them, you've never noticed that their door was red before. So that's an astonishing thing. So look for those things every single day in your life. Line six, do right, not be right. You know, we're raised our whole life in school to give the right answer, to do the right, to um, um, be right in any conversation. And I say, you know, just do the right thing instead of focusing on being right. My line seven is be impeccably fiscally fit. have to pay attention to our financial world because it's important, especially as we evolve in our life and, and grow older and towards retirement. Line eight is live graciously, to really live a graceful life so that we can recognize and honor all the possessions that we do have and appreciate the real worth of loved ones and others that we care for and who care for us. It's important to be in a state of grace so we can do that. Line nine, take responsibility for you, Inc. Like you just said, Jim, there's no one responsible for our happiness and our well-being and our contentment and our peacefulness except ourselves. We have to look to ourselves for that and not expect it to come from anyone else or anything else outside of us. And finally, line 10, make a dent. And I truly believe that the purpose of our life is to go on a journey of becoming real. It's a, it's a journey of living authentically and uncovering who we really are. And that's what I mean by leave a dent, is what, what, did, what dent do I want to make in my life? And my, for me, it's as simple as I want to leave every single person I encounter better than I found them. Pretty simple stuff. So those are the you, lines.
2: You, you lost me. Go on a journey of what?
3: Go on a journey of becoming real. So, it's, you know, it's there. a journey of living authentically and uncovering who we really are. And um, just just live that simply, because I think one of the things we do as humans is we make our life a whole heck of a lot more difficult than it needs to be. It's not that difficult. It's a matter of choosing happiness, and it's a matter of living from the inside out and being grateful. And it really doesn't get much more complicated than that.
2: I uh tell people if they'll listen that uh, money is a false god uh, you can always find uh, i'm a better person than you are because my yacht is bigger than your yacht i mean what a what a false god that that would be <clears throat> living fiscally within your means is some of the best advice you can give to anybody that uh, <clears throat> it's just you can always find people with more money but the the stress that comes from not being able to pay your bills because you bought that expensive dress or, or house or whatever else. Live within your means is just a really great idea. So I've been, <laughs> you ought to see my notes here, Annie Fonte. I've, I've written all kinds of them. Go on a journey of being real and becoming real indeed. Uh, and meditation, uh, medita- you didn't describe meditation the way I would have. Uh, and I think that, that that's wonderful. To uh, Between four and five in the morning, what time do you go to bed at night, by the way? I need more sleep than that.
3: No, well, I anytime between ten and eleven. I've never needed much sleep. I think that's part of being raised on a farm.
2: Yeah, I guess <laughs> and so. I, and
3: I'm and I'm grateful for that for sure.
2: You mentioned you you talked about when your father died, but you also mentioned in your book that you had a what I would call cathartic moment, where I guess that you were out on your on a tractor with your father. There was a electric fence that would keep the cattle from uh, going going off your property, and that uh, somehow the fence got disrupted, and the uh, you held the wire up somehow so that the cows could go under it, and they wouldn't do it because they knew that uh, that wire was there, and so your father, uh, in effect, yelled at you or criticized you because it wasn't working, and at that point, if I remember correctly, you you broke, basically swore at him and said, you know, if you think you can do it better, do it yourself or something of that kind. Was that helpful to you but in your relationship with your father or did you just kind of double down and criticize you all the more?
3: No, that was, a, that was a turning point in our relationship because he he always found in us what we did wrong versus what we did right. He was very critical, and he called us stupid, and he never encouraged us, and so at that that was the moment in time where I just had enough. It was like the giant within broke loose, and I just said, look, if you think you're so smart, get off your ass and go do it yourself, and um, we sat in the truck together because I, I got in the truck with him, and he was yelling at me, and I was out trying to herd cattle, and I finally just got in the truck with him, and I slammed the door, and I said that to him, and it was like that moment with Gene when I said that in that moment. He knew things were going to change. Same with George in that moment. And I was 16 years old when that happened. In that moment, he knew that I was no longer going to tolerate who he was being toward me and how he was treating me as his daughter. And so, yeah, I I think that was a very important moment for both of us. And our relationship was never the same again. He he backed off, and he kind of knew that he had he had crossed the boundary that was was not appropriate. And so I went and worked for another farmer, and my relationship with George really never mended from that. It never came back, and and to a place where, uh, of course, there was forgiveness on my part, but there was never a level of comfort that you would probably expect with a father and a daughter after that point in time. And that and that was an okay thing for me.
2: There, yes. And in fact, it was a healthy thing, I expect. You stood up for yourself. Uh, now, right. whenever you do that, be sure you're right, by the way. I, I recommend that. In fact, when I was a young lieutenant in the Navy, I told our commanding officer, sir, you can't do that, which uh, took him aback a little bit. But I was right. And, and be, sure to, be sure that you're right when you do it. But it's really a helpful thing. He actually, I would say, started respecting you from that time. That and he was maybe embarrassed or sorry for for the way he had treated you before, but he knew he couldn't punish you and get you to do what he wanted anymore, and that changed your relationship. You got to stand up for yourself. You just have to. So you
3: end. Yeah, because we teach people how to treat us, right? We we teach people how to treat us by what we allow them to how we allow them to treat us, and so up until that point in time, because I respected him as a parent and I respected him as he was my father, and he. He was very strict. We were raised very strictly, and I'm okay with that. I think a little bit more strict parenting these days would go a long way. And also, because I never, ever talked back to him, I never reacted in a in a way that was confronting to him before in my life, I taught him that it was okay, that I was okay accepting him, treating me like that until that day. And then I said, "Whoa, enough. From this point forward, you're going to treat me with respect, or we're not going to have a relationship. So and that's, you're exactly that's the right. Same
2: th- that's the same thing that happened with Gene in that romantic relationship, I I anticipate.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And he, he would respect right. you, knew that he couldn't uh, pull his narcissism on you anymore, uh, and you, he wasn't going to use you as a doormat, and so uh, he went on. I imagine that Gene found another woman to use as a doormat fairly quickly. Do you know one way or the other?
3: Uh, yeah, he, he did, and it would not surprise me that if that he already had someone on the line Um, Uh. during our relationship. There was infidelity. And so he probably within six minutes had somebody else on the phone. (laughs) That's how how those folks who are that self-focused behave. And that's okay if that's how they want to behave. I don't have to plug into it, and I didn't have to be involved in it any longer. And thank goodness I realized that, and I chose that for myself.
2: Indeed so. Well, you end your wonderful book with two quotes. And I'd never heard of, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the name, Anis Nien, A-N-A-I-S-N-I-N. And that says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Uh, Where did you get that quote? Because it it certainly says what what we've been talking about for the past hour here on All Rise. But who was Anis Nien, if I'm reading that correctly, and where did that quote come from? Do you know?
3: Um, i don 't know how that person came up with it i 'm a lover of quotes, and so I, I have a lot of them as a matter of fact. Each chapter of my book starts with a quote and I, I really believe it 's metaphorical and i don 't know what the intention of uh, Anise is, but or was, but it it 's metaphorical and and you know sometimes we 're wrapped so tightly in a space and it might be comfortable to a point, but then it gets so uncomfortable to remain there that you have to spread your wings. You have to be willing to break free of that hold on you in order to evolve to who you're going to become in the world. So I, I, like I say, I don't know the intention of the person, but that's kind of how I read into the quote, and it is one of my favorites, and I think it's really true. It's a good metaphor for life for sure.
2: I think so, too, and that's what we've been talking about here. And the last one, the quote, the second one I'm going bring up, is from Albert Schweitzer, one of the wonderful human beings the world has ever seen, who said, The path of awakening is not about becoming who you are, rather it is unbecoming who you are not. Uh, I, I I love that, and I think that's what we're talking about as well. But uh, a similar, similar quote, Annie Fonte?
3: Yeah, I, that was really attractive, and it resonated with me because... I think, for myself at least, I know deep down inside, I already knew who I was. But the years from probably six to forty, I layered on top of myself all the things I wasn't, and it wasn't until I was willing to start unlayering those things and then get back down to who I was authentically in my true essence that that freedom showed up, and so. The unbecoming part for me was crucial. It was essential for me to get to where I am today. And I invite our listeners, the audience, to consider that. Is are you showing up in the world as who you truly are? Or are you showing up in the world as how you think others want to see you? Or you show up in the world so others will like you. So you behave in a way that's not who you truly are. Or are you showing up in the world so others will embrace you? And those are all false ways to show up, and that's where that lack of worthiness comes in. If you embrace your worthiness, you'll always show up as who you genuinely are. And so Indeed. I think it's a, it's a good plan for everybody to consider.
2: Annie Fonte, it's just a pleasure to have you be with us on All Rise. Thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, the way I describe what, what you just said is one of the worst things that can happen to a human being is to be on your deathbed, look back over your life and think, I wish I would have or I wish I would not have. And that's pretty sad stuff. Right. I, I expect that you're the one who is not going to have those regrets. You, you've you gone for it. You've become yourself. For anyone who wishes more information, and she has, Annie Fonte has an extensive biography, but go to www. All one word. www.meetmeatthebarn.com, www.meetmeatthebarn.com, and you can get a lot of information. Can people contact you as well through that website, Annie Fonte?
3: Yes, they can. They certainly can.
2: It, and it has just... links
3: to my social media accounts as well, so they can certainly go have a look at those if they want to learn more.
2: Just just simply, I recommend her book, uh, Keep Your Ass in the Saddle. Of course, you have to get it in the saddle before you keep it there, but How a Farm, a Fire, and a Failure <laughs> led me to freedom. Uh, the freedom is just to be yourself. Uh, <laughs> the trite phrase on that, Annie, maybe you'll like this, is, uh, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And I think that kind of sits into what we're, we're talking about as well. But, but Annie, 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 we have about maybe 20 seconds. Just thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your life, your life story, your recommendations to us. You're a one sophisticated, intelligent, very successful lady, and it's just proud to have you here in All Rise. Thank you for being with us.
3: You're welcome. It's been an honor. And uh, all I say to our listeners is be your own hero. That's all you need in your life
2: in fact so well thank you again Annie Uh, again www.meetmeatthebarn.com for yet more I'm going to meet you at the barn again and we're going to get together soon but there you have it folks it's been a pleasure to be able to provide these insights to you that's what we try to do on All Rise obviously I don't have all the answers but we get really interesting guests that that can provide some for your contemplation Uh, so tune in again next week Uh, we'll be here or you can go to uh, uh, Voice America dot com and go to the Variety channel, listen to any of these on demand over the past, including my wife, Grace, with her book, Bye Bye Back Pain. There, I did it again. But in the meantime, Annie, thanks so much again for joining us. Thanks for you, our listeners, for sharing this time with us. And we look forward to sharing further messages again with you next week. So I end this chapter like I always do, saying, life is good. Why do I say that? Because it is, and it's all the more so because we're appreciative. So thanks for being with us. Life is good. Thanks to Annie Fonte. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.